All right, so what is the fallout of this Jennifer Crumbly verdict? Guilty in all four counts of involuntary manslaughter as it stems from her son, Ethan Crumbly's uh, massacre at Oxford High School just over two years ago. The, the reality is the jury thought that Jennifer Crumbly was a, a negligent parent. She was, she was guilty of gross negligence. Um, the foreperson of that jury, Alex, was on the Today Show. I didn't give her last name. But they talked about the relationship the, that, that they gleaned from the trial of Jennifer Crumbly and, he, and her son, Ethan. Um, they, they also taught, was asked about the, 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 the decision to put Jennifer Crumbly on the stand. Here's Alex, the foreperson on that jury on the Today Show. What did you make of her on the witness stand? Um... At the time, I tried to take her as she gave herself. Um, but once we went into deliberation, it became clear um, that she wasn't a super reliable witness in this case. Savannah Guthrie on the question. And, and Alex was also asked about Jennifer Crumbly saying that she wouldn't change anything, knowing everything that she knows now. It was repeated a lot in the deliberation room. I think that it was very upsetting to hear Um I think that there are many small things that could have been done to prevent this. And so now what's the fallout from this? What's the precedent? I think a lot of parents around the country are asking themselves that question. Eve Primus is the director of M Defenders at the University of Michigan and joins us. Eve, it's good to have you. Thanks so much for having me. I, I think that this is precedent setting uh, for a number of reasons. How do you view it? So it depends on what you mean by precedent setting. Of course, this does demonstrate that a prosecutor can, in a case like the Crumbly case, pursue charges against a parent this way and succeed in getting a guilty verdict. But nothing about the law has changed from before when Jennifer Crumbly was tried to now. And it remains the case that proving an involuntary manslaughter charge like this is an incredibly high standard for the prosecutor and requires a very fact-specific inquiry into the relationship that exists between, in this case, Jennifer Crumbly and Ethan Crumbly surrounding his um, his mental state as well as his access to weapons. So I do think it means that there is a the possibility of these kinds of prosecutions occurring that prosecutors might not have thought to bring in the past, but I still think it is a very difficult charge for them to win on if they don't have the specific facts that existed in this kind of case. Like it's rare to have a school meeting on the day of the shooting right. in which the, the school is telling the parents how troubled the son is. No, I think that's exactly right. I mean, from, from a prosecutor's perspective, they go where the facts lead them, right? Or, or, or at least where they think they can prove guilt or they can prove malice or, or gross negligence. And in this case, Karen McDonald thought she could, so she brought the charges. Do you feel that prosecutors will be more empowered by the idea that, that they, they can in fact, connect those dots because it's been done before? 
Well, I mean, I think it would be naive to say that this doesn't say it's possible, but I also do not think that this is going to open the floodgates to a ton of prosecutions like this for a couple of reasons. First is, as I said, gross negligence and reasonable foreseeability, which were the two legal standards that they had to address in this case, are really high standards and difficult to meet, and they need the facts. And as you said, they have to follow those facts, and they might not have them in other cases. But second, I also think that this case can't be divorced from the mass shooting context in which it arose, Mm -hmm. which is to say, look, like, you know, this was a terrible, horrific tragedy for this community. And there is a lot of pain and there's a lot of outrage and there's a lot of pressure to do something about the problems of mass shootings and also to provide some sort of closure to the community. And so I think the combination of the special facts that existed in this case and the pressure and the trauma that is associated with a mass shooting is what pushed the prosecutor here to reach out to make uh, to file charges in a case like this where they hadn't typically been filed in the past. I don't think this means that suddenly prosecutors are going to be filing charges against parents for every you know, assault committed by their teenage children. Um, I just don't think that's where the law is going to lead here. Yeah, and, that's, and that was, you know, I, I took a lot of calls from people yesterday after, after the verdict came down from the jury, and, and that was a concern. It's like, well, where, where do we, where, where, where do the floodgates open? Are they open now? Does it, does it point to parents being, you know, held responsible when, when maybe, you know, you could make the argument that they weren't responsible. And I think that's a fair concern for people. But again, I think it's all about fact facts and, and, and the, the, the avenues that prosecutors can take to get to that conclusion. Um, in the meantime, um, I'm curious to know your thoughts on how this, this, uh, case, Jennifer's case, will imp- implicate and, and impact James Crumbly's case, her husband, in a couple of Yeah. Weeks. No, it's a good question. I think, you know, criminal cases are brought against individuals, and the prosecutor in each individual case is going to have to unearth facts to demonstrate and prove beyond a reasonable doubt the mental state that is required to convict each individual defendant. So the facts that apply with respect to Jennifer might be different than the facts that apply with respect to Ethan's father, right? So, for example, text communications between Ethan and his mother that might demonstrate how troubled he was to her would not inform the father's culpability if he wasn't privy to those communications. Or I know there was testimony in this trial that somehow like that the father was responsible for safeguarding weapons in the house. We'll see if that testimony comes out in his trial um, and what it shows about what he knew and what responsibilities he had that were similar to or different from the responsibilities that Jennifer had. So I think what we can say is clearly there are facts that put at least one parent on notice here that certainly will embolden the prosecution to think it's possible to get a second conviction. But I think whether they can will depend on the facts that come out at his trial about specifically what he knew and what risks he was aware of and whether he was grossly negligent and indifferent to and disregarded those risks. Mm. Eve Primus with M Defenders. Thanks so much. Appreciate the time. Thanks for having me. Yeah, you got it. Uh, in the meantime, we're taking your calls, your text on my, my Joe Biden and Donald Trump issue. And the, the question is, there's a, a large faction of people that look at these these guys and say, well, we don't want them in the first place. This isn't the rematch we want. But you've got basically three out of four voters that say, uh, I can't vote for a guy who's over 80 years old to be president of the United States. The, 
the cognitive issues, whatever they may be. They're, I mean, they seem to be apparent. They're pretty obvious, and, and they're out in the open. And Donald Trump has mounting legal issues. I mean, it's 92 charges and, and you know, facing potentially some serious issues. W- which is worse? Which would you prefer? Where do you side? Uh, that's the question. 800 Let's get to a couple of texts on the text line. What do we got, Brian? Uh, John in Brighton says, Chris, uh, you seem to not notice that uh, your, uh, Trump misspeaks a lot also. Uh, he's had a lot of misspeaking recently, mm-hmm. uh, not just misspeaking, but confusion. So the difference in my mind is, you know, Donald Trump is, you know, there's a difference between a gaffe or saying something wrong mm-hmm. and, you know, saying to people that you talk to a French president who died in 1995. You know what I mean? Like, that's a difference. Or calling calling Nikki, Nikki Haley, Haley Nancy Pelosi. Pelosi is a little different. Um, and again, these they're they're both they're both older, so it's not. I th- I think those are real issues. Got to take a break.